This episode is supported by Bounty Kitchen, one of my absolute favorite Seattle restaurants. Bounty Kitchen is no joke, an extension of my own kitchen, except that there's so much fresh, local, organic, and tasty stuff on the menu there that it takes me forever to decide what I want. The good news is that you literally can't go wrong. Check out greens, beans, and grains dishes like the braised beef bowl, or dive into the vegan and dairy-free Marrakesh market bowl, or try one of my personal favorites for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the pot liquor bowl. There are also soups, salads, sandwiches, scrambles, and of course, toast, all infused with the deep love and commitment of founder and co-owner and my friend Meg Trainer and her team. Visit Bounty Kitchen at 7 Boston Street in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood and check out my interview with Meg from last season of the podcast to learn more about her personal health journey and the inspiration behind Bounty Kitchen. This kind of rhetoric about, you know, oh, the hard worker that stays up all night or sleeps in the office or doesn't get a lot of sleep, that's actually not what senior leaders do or advocate at all. And so I think there was this time of wearing burnout as a badge. And I hope that a lot of people have moved on from that and recognize that we're really not at our best if we're not taking good care of ourselves. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Hi there, podcast listeners. I'm excited to introduce you to this week's guest. But before I do, I want to apologize for my froggy sounding voice in this intro and in another spot you'll hear in today's episode. It's the first week of September as I'm recording this, and I always seem to get a cold as we transition from summer to fall. So having said that, today I'm talking to Michaela Kiner, founder of Uniquely HR, a Seattle company providing flexible HR for fast-growing companies. Michaela is a native Seattleite who spent 15 years in HR leadership roles at Seattle-based companies, including Microsoft, Starbucks, Amazon, PopCap Games, and Redfin, before founding Uniquely HR in 2015. I loved chatting with Michaela. As an HR professional, she has unique insight into the way companies support employees in integrating work and life. As an entrepreneur, she has practical tips for aligning your work with your personal priorities. We talked about the surprising statistic about how much sleep senior leaders actually get. What happened on Michaela's team at Microsoft when they scored high on work-life balance measures, and it wasn't good. What it means to be a happy workaholic. How Michaela designed her business to be in alignment with her personal priorities and the hard choices she had to make to do it. And Michaela's accidental morning routine and how it changed the way she moves through her days. I also want to quickly remind you that my free Powerful Habits of Women on the Rise mini class begins right in your email inbox on September 14th. Get all the details and reserve your spot in class at lauradolch.com slash women rise class. Enjoy the interview. Yeah, Michaela, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to have my guests lay a little bit of groundwork about what they do professionally so that people have context for not only your you know, professional life, but also in your case, since you're working in the HR field, I think it's especially relevant to this conversation. Can you just talk a little bit about your work and your company? 
Sure, absolutely. So I uh, spent my first 15 years in corporate HR, mostly with big companies, Microsoft, Starbucks, and Amazon, decided to go smaller, and then three years ago, decided to launch my own HR consulting practice called Uniquely HR. Um, We do three things. So we do HR for startups, we do management and leadership development, and executive coaching. And For me, what's fun about it, aside from the work, but what's fun about it is I have two kids and it's allowed me to really have a flexible schedule, even though it's still, it's more than a full-time job, but it's not a 60 to 80 hour a week full-time job. And I also get to work sort of when and where it makes sense for me. But in addition to that, we have over 20 consultants and many of them are working moms who work half-time. Others may do some work with us, some work independently, and they are all also people who really enjoy and appreciate both having that flexibility, but also having it balanced with really good, challenging, meaningful work, which is surprising, but it's still hard to find that out in the everyday workforce and to get to strike that balance that so many people want. Yeah, absolutely. I love that because you're, you know, you're, you started your company in some respects for finding that personal balance and you're also now providing it to so many other women. And I, you're right. It's, um, even though, you know, running a business, as you know, can be stressful in different ways than working as an employee, uh, the flexibility is there in a, you know, in a way that you never have in the corporate space. Do you, do you think that self care belongs in the leadership conversation? I absolutely do. And I'm glad also that it's recently become part of that conversation. Things like Ariana Huffington's sleep revolution. And there's more and more research now about how leaders need to eat well, sleep well, that it actually just makes us sharper. It helps people be more creative and more innovative. And I believe there was some recent research that showed that actually executives, senior executives sleep on average more than Mm. others in the workforce. And this kind of rhetoric about, you know, oh, the hard worker that stays up all night or sleeps in the office or doesn't get a lot of sleep, that's actually not what senior leaders do or advocate at all. And so I think there was this time of wearing burnout as a badge. And I hope that a lot of people have moved on from that and recognize that we're really not at our best if we're not taking good care of ourselves. Yeah, that's that's I'm so glad to know about that research because it has been such a cultural I think struggle to shift that. There was an article in the New York Times, oh gosh, it's been several years but just talking about just like you said wearing busyness as a badge, wearing burnout as a badge. Um, and it's nice to see that that's starting to shift, although it feels like it feels like a little bit of a slog. Like, what do you think the hurdles are to getting that to shift entirely? Yes, I think it's very much about company culture. And so I would be naive to sit here and say that no companies still have that, you know, work long and hard kind of a culture. But I do think it starts from the top. And I also think it does stem from the data and research that helps people understand when and how are we at our most productive because any leader of a business, well, most leaders, most good leaders are reliant on data. And I think all leaders, they want to get the very best from the people who are working with them. It's just that they need, I think, more information and more examples to understand that often people are more productive if they're working 30 hours than you know 50 or 60 because in the 50 or 60, 
we're taking those breaks and we're playing foosball and we're going out to multiple coffees just to keep us going throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So I think some just information and education and also examples. I think nothing is more compelling than a story or case study of someone who has found a way to do this successfully and can show that actually, whether it's caring for employees, you know, doing things to help people um, be mindful and prioritize their health, have actually helped companies get ahead and have not held companies back, which is a perception that I think some people would have of, oh, that's a lifestyle company or oh, that's a company where people work from nine to five, and that's being said as a negative versus a positive. You know, it it actually reminds me, uh, this was long enough ago that I can talk about it, but I was on a team years ago at Microsoft, and Microsoft's employee engagement survey was called the Microsoft Poll, and we had a very caring and considerate leader, and our team scored very well for positive work-life balance. We actually scored 94% favorable. And when she shared the results, she said, this is a great score, but I don't think we should share this information with other teams because they will believe that we don't have enough to do or we're not working hard enough. Yeah. And it was so unfortunate because here's something that says this should be a positive, right? I think that's wonderful. This team has work-life balance, but it actually almost instilled fear in the team. Well, we don't want to be known for that. Right. I think that's right. I think there's still that perception that if you are able to find that balance, that you're being lazy or something. And, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about using case studies as a, as a means of providing that data to leaders that, that supports this. I was talking, I was interviewing Katie Bennett, who's a local entrepreneur, runs a company called Amalavita Coaching and it's leadership coaching and executive coaching as well. And we were talking about, you know, yeah, like what are those quantitative data points that we can start to gather? Because I think that like case studies are great and I, I agree with you. Like, I don't know how else to demonstrate this, but do you have any thoughts on that? Like what quantitative measures we could start to apply to this? Yeah, I think it's almost like you have to look at what is the policy or guideline within a team or a company. So for instance, this is funny. I I worked with a company. I worked at a company that had unlimited PTO and they were acquired by a larger company that did not have unlimited PTO. And the first thing the larger company wanted to know is they said, well, how much time off do people take? And we said, well, we don't know. We don't track it because it's quote unquote unlimited. Um, But I think if you were to ask a different question and just say in this company with an unlimited PTO policy, are people performing well at their jobs? Are they effective? You know, regardless again of when and where they're doing the work or how much time they're taking off. If you have a performance culture and people are held to a high standard, in my experience, they will get the job done. Or if you're running that organization, you need to be thoughtful and address people who aren't getting the job done. And maybe those individuals don't get to take advantage of the unlimited time off for a while until they can get their performance back up. So I think you almost have to compare and contrast what is the policy, what is the guideline. But then if what we care about is performance, measure performance. Or if what we care about are engagement and retention, measure those things and compare and contrast those with is this a company with you know rigid time off or is this a company where it's unlimited and you're treating people like adults and owners and yet 
everyone's delivering and exceeding expectations. Right. Yeah. I feel like I saw some study about companies that offer unlimited uh, PTO, which for those who don't know, that stands for paid time off. But um, it, it it was something that Richard Branson, I think, cited when I believe Virgin shifted to that, to an unlimited PTO policy, or at least some divisions of it did. Anyway, so I feel like there has been research that shows you know, higher productivity in those companies um, and that it's not abused in the way that people would think, you know, like everyone's taking like, you know, 10 weeks off or 20 weeks or whatever. Right. Because you have a job to do. I mean, if everyone on your team has a job to do, presumably they need to get it done. We have unlimited time off for our staff. And um, I actually saw recent research that said people are most productive if they take at least five weeks off per year. And I feel like what I need to do now is force that conversation and say, hey, everyone look at the calendar. Where are your five weeks off? And oh, by the way, I know you're really committed, but can you actually take that time off and make sure another staff person is backing you up? Because we have a lot of type A people and they're the ones that love to keep up with their email or say, well, I can, even if I'm in Morocco, I can, you know, check in and be online (laughs) from my hotel. And I think, no, I'd rather you know, go and enjoy the sites, right? And, and let us cover that for you. And it'll all yeah. be here when you get back. That's good to know. I'm thinking maybe I'm going to add an extra, I give myself four weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to add a fifth week, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was an Adam, uh, Adam Grant uh, podcast that he had done on productivity and work-life balance. And he actually had a number of good tips. That was uh, my biggest takeaway that I'm trying to act on. Very cool. I love that. Do you see any differences in this conversation, like between industries or employer size at all? Yeah, I think industry for sure. You know, the the tech industry uh, is known to be extremely innovative, and there's always such fierce competition for talent in technology companies and technology startups that you know we see even the younger and smaller companies really trying to be flexible and offer as many perks and benefits as they know how and as they can afford. Um, You know, I think in in companies where you have an hourly workforce, this obviously has to be treated differently. And there are companies who have both. And so they try to have, you know, fair but distinct time off policies for the salaried versus the hourly workers. And there are still many, many, you know, mostly large, older, more mature organizations where, I think these things just haven't caught on. Mm -hmm. I guess I would be remiss too if I didn't say there are some startup leaders we know who are not fans of unlimited time off. They're not even fans of remote work, which I find a little bit surprising in a technology startup. But I think there are leaders who just aren't comfortable with that. They're not comfortable managing what they can't see. Mm. And they're not sure how to hold people accountable also how to establish that kind of strong rapport and camaraderie sometimes when people aren't in the office together on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a challenge. I mean, that's, that's fair. You know, I, uh, the, the folks who work for me and my business are, are all remote and, um, yeah, it can be a challenge for sure. So it seems like there's opportunity for helping leaders develop those, you know, remote management skills in some respect. Do you, as far as other, benefits, I guess, that play into the idea of self-care and flexibility. You know, my experience has been that like employee wellness or that that sort of function 
often, at least in mid to large size companies, is is being run by the health insurance providers or by EAPs, employee assistance programs, and um, with with really not very many like personalized tools. Like they're all very like one size fits all tools. Do you see that changing as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there is a lot of one size fits all. I think some employers have gone a little bit beyond that. And even if it's the concierge services or the, you know, the dog walker or the pet insurance, you know, things that, that might appeal more to certain individuals and feel more personalized. I know that's taken off in some companies. You know, I was doing some research on EAPs actually. And one company was kind of promoting itself as the EAP of the future or next generation EAP. And it looked like they were aspiring to personalize the EAP and have more offerings. I've also talked to some individuals recently who are offering unique services, anything from sort of bereavement guidance and support to one that was looking to help expedite the immigration process for the spouse of an employee. And they're trying to figure out is how can I get into an EAP and really offer some of these more unique services to companies that would, again, just ease the lives of employees, create less distraction for employees and more support. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's interesting as more and more unique solutions are coming up and trying to figure out how can we in the HR industry help companies adopt these or help them maybe fold some of these more personalized services into their EAPs. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what about you, Michaela? How do you define wellness for the for you at this point in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually, I just came from a coffee with a woman who I've known over the course of my career. So we overlapped at both Microsoft and Amazon. And she was asking me this question. She said, you know, your company's growing. You guys are always on social media like, do you have any time for yourself? And I said, oh, there is no question that this is the most fun, least stressful work I've ever done. And I think a large degree of that comes to being in control. So I'm kind of a self-proclaimed control freak. You know, I, <laughs> I like having that control, but I like having control over my schedule and doing things at times that both work for me, but also when I'm personally at my most productive. For me, that often means I get up at 5 or 5.30 I actually um, do a lot of work before I come into the office, but I try not to come in for meetings before eight or nine. And then, you know what, at at three o'clock, if I'm exhausted and and I don't have to be at work, I might just pick up and go home. On the flip side, you know, I might go to an evening event and be out until nine o'clock. But for me, one, it's about having that choice. Two, I think it's really about the fact that I am doing what I love. And so they talk about the I can't remember the term, but there's this sort of happy workaholic, which means you love what you do and you're not trying to draw really an artificial line between your work and your life. It's kind of, you know, all part and parcel and um, you don't see it as a burden, right? Mm -hmm. If I decide to jump on and do a little bit of work on a Saturday or Sunday, it's because I'm doing something that I'm passionate about. It's not that feeling of, oh my gosh, this is hanging over my head. I have to go do this thing. But, um, when I went out on my own, I had kind of had a chance to see, you know, what are my personal values about how I work and how I balance family because I do have two teenagers and I made a bunch of choices and they were choices like I take my daughter to school every Friday or I'm home for dinner every night unless I'm at an event. Um, I really don't travel very much. So I was very intentional about the fact that we're doing business and growing our business in Seattle 
and I've turned down opportunities to go work in the Bay Area or in Portland or expand overseas because that just it, it fits into my later life plan, but it does not fit into my current life plan while I have kids at home. So I think as, as soon as I made those choices and just set up those boundaries, and as long as I stick to them about 80%, because we all have exceptions, then uh, I, you know, I feel really good about it. And I, I sleep, I sleep a lot. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> so I don't have to think too hard about that one. But I'm a believer in sleep. And I, I love to exercise. You know, I, I probably walk about 20 miles a week. I just uh, that's kind of what I do. The walking in Pilates really keeps me nice. healthy. Nice. Yeah. I used to teach Pilates. I got certified in New York. I haven't taught in many years, but it's such a great system. And I love that you're, the first things that you brought up actually had nothing to do with exercise and food, right? Like that's part of it. And, and, but one of the things that I'm always interested in these conversations is the broader definition of self-care, right? And for you, it sounds like it's flexibility and, and being able to, you know, do the things in your life that bring meaning to it. Like, you know, spend time with your kids, for example, um, in a way that doesn't produce guilt, <laughs> which, you know, sometimes it can do in more rigid working environments. Hey there, it's Lara here. Wanted to take a quick break from the interview to ask you a question. How would your life be different if you felt energetic, healthy, and confident every day? If you feel amazing most days, then great, keep doing what you're doing. But if you feel flabby, frazzled, and maybe even a little frumpy, if you wake up feeling exhausted and sluggish with no energy to tackle your busy day, my popular mini class called Powerful Habits of Women on the Rise is designed to help you find laser-focused, practical, and effective ways to feel vibrant and confident again so you can have, be, and do all that you're meant for in life. It's free and it begins right in your email inbox this Friday, September 14th. Visit laradolch.com slash women rise class to reserve your spot in my powerful habits of women on the rise mini class. That's laradolch.com slash women rise class. Are there other daily habits? So sleep, the walking, Pilates, are there any other daily habits that you think most contribute to your ability to show up for your work and for the people in your life? Yeah, I kind of accidentally established this morning routine that I really enjoy. And it's very different than what I did, you know, probably five and 10 years ago. So I used to be the person who got up. I never ate breakfast. I was out of the house 30 minutes after getting out of bed. I would just get ready and go. I've always gone early ever since I had kids at least because I wanted to get back home in the evening. But now I'm the total opposite. So I still get up early, but I start with a cup of tea and I like to um, kind of get myself grounded. So I do check my email because I want to know what's going on. Um, I check the news because I want to know what's going on in the world. And then if usually there are a couple of urgent pieces of work or something that I knew in the evening that I wanted to get out first thing. So I will actually do all of that before leaving home for the office unless I have a very early appointment. And so it's it's quite leisurely and I find it's productive because nobody's awake in my house yet. And for the most part, the people I'm working with, are they're not awake or they're not working. So there's nothing coming in. And it just allows me to come into the day feeling very grounded and very caught up. I also do a Sunday evening. I just, you you can probably tell this about me. I don't like to get caught off guard or caught by (laughs) surprise. So Sunday evening, I will go through the email. Again, I I just want to make sure that I can work at a comfortable pace when I get into work Monday morning. Yeah. 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 And I always like to point out too, because the morning routine is something that I 
the advocate, well, I, I have one similar to yours for myself and I definitely advocate that for my clients. And I just want to mention that for women listening who may not have the kind of flexibility and time that you and I have in the morning, that those kinds of routines can be scalable, right? They don't have to take an hour or two hours or whatever. They can just be 10 minute routines and you just sort of, you know, scale the, the tea, how long you linger over the tea, you scale it down a little bit, right? And so you can still do that and create that sense of being grounded, even if you only have 10, 15 minutes. That is very true. And for any women who are listening, I am, uh, I have failed at trying to journal. I am not a good journaler. <laughs> I have too. I, I, yeah, I've given up at this point. <laughs> yeah. So um, don't feel bad. I mean, I think that is a wonderful practice. And I know people who get so much out of it. It just, it may not be for you. So don't feel bad. Um, I'm also failed at any kind of meditation practice. And I think, you know, there's hope for me. I mean, I will probably <laughs> return to that one day because again, I know people who do it swear by it and it's so valuable. I just haven't been able to get myself into it. I had found actually a wonderful recorded, it was just a 10 minute morning and evening meditation. I just couldn't, it didn't work for me. I couldn't settle my brain. So I stopped trying. But if those things don't work for you, that's okay. Like, I think there are a lot of other ways to do this that, again, mine, it was sort of accidental. And people might think, oh, well, like reading the news and checking email, that's not very, you know, that's not very calming. But for me personally, it's calming. So I do it. There's also a quote when you talk about um, the morning routine for me, there's uh, an author named Richard Leiter, and he talks about your golden hour. Mm. And he defines that it's just kind of whenever you're personally at your best. When do you have energy? When do you feel creative? Figuring out when that time is for you and using it, not wasting it. And for me, it's that early morning. And that's why I say if there was something urgent or something I've been meaning to get to, I want to do that in the morning when I know that I'm focused and I'm going to do a great job of it. And um, so I don't, I don't want to waste that moment, you know, doing something random, like cleaning out my spam folder. And uh, just having that term defined and being intentional is something that's really helped me a lot. Yeah. No, I think that's really important to to mention too, because that's right. There are two things that I'm hearing. One is that you're understanding that you know everyone's different and that you certain things that don't feel calming and grounding and like self-care to one person do feel that way to you. And that's great. And so you've chosen to go with that. And I think that's really important. People often have this very rigid image of what being healthy should look like or what being grounded should look like. And like you said, if the meditation doesn't work, then they think they failed because that's the thing that gets you grounded, right? Well, maybe not you. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. What about challenges around some of these habits? Like, do you have, is, is there some kind of self-sabotaging habit or thought or something that comes up for you that gets in the way of these things sometimes? Yeah. Good framing. My <laughs> self-sabotaging habit that I have had forever in my professional career is that I'm an over-scheduler and it almost doesn't matter what I do. I can kind of do a reset and I have guidelines for myself about what do I say yes to and how long are the meetings and I have meeting free times, you know, and then I'm the first person to break my own rule. Like, oh, of course I can cram that in on a Friday. And my assistant will say, well, you have, you're meeting free on Fridays. Oh, I know, but this is a really important <laughs> meeting or candidate or whatever. You know, I did it. I did it today. 
Yeah. So that that's hard. And what'll happen for me is I'll kind of level set and I'll get really good. And then I'll see the scope creep and it'll get to this breaking point where I say, oh, I've given up the free time that I wanted that I tried to set aside. And then I know because like my brain gets noisy and I'm not as efficient and then I'll go back. But I, I have a relatively new assistant. She worked with me in the past. And so she's comfortable being very honest. And she came in a couple months ago she took over my calendar and she looked at me one day and she said, Michaela, you're, you, you do so many things and they're all really good things and you just need to do less of them. <laughs> and I, I kind of hung my head in shame because I was like, yeah, I know. Um, but I think those opportunities, like this morning, I'm having a chance to mentor a fabulous group that's coming out of a UW-MBA entrepreneurship program right? Or it's my colleague, Leslie, who runs the Female Founders Alliance. And I want to be at every event she puts on because every one of those events are amazing. And the high class problem that we have in Seattle is that there are so many incredible people. There are so many incredible events that are going on at any given time. And then I kind of go, oh yeah, and in my day job, I'm trying to run and grow a business over here. And we have to make really hard choices and they don't get easier. No matter what rules I set for myself, those choices, they actually get harder. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just more and more that I want to do. Well, and what happens? So you mentioned that when you do that, when you let that scope creep or the boundaries get soft, that, you know, your brain starts kind of spinning and you're not as effective. Are there any other sort of um, side effects (laughs) that you notice when you break your own sort of self-care boundaries? Yeah, I think the first is that we can only really have so many meaningful conversations in a day or a week. And so I find if I don't have the energy and focus, you know, maybe I'm at that event or I'm having a coffee with that person, but my mind is wandering. And so that's not really fair to them. And I'm also not doing myself a service. I get tired, you know, I just genuinely get tired. And I get kind of sad. Like if I look at my calendar and it is just back to back to back, you know, day after day, I actually look at it and it's, I, it's kind of just depressing. Uh, I think it's because I know I'm, I'm going to do a disservice to at least a handful of those meetings. So that's, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm getting better at stopping before it gets there. But I always know if I look at my calendar and it makes me feel bad or overwhelmed or anxious, then I need to start clearing some space. Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, test so when you when you look at your calendar and you're like, oh my goodness, what's happening? Yeah, and I I'm sort of evenly split between extrovert and introvert. So I my introverted side is the side that starts to freak out when when I look at my calendar and and you know and I'm I'm like, oh my gosh, that's never going to happen. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I am very much an introvert. I, some people think that's funny, but. I could do anything one-on-one all day long, right? That, that does not yeah. look or feel like work to me. But for me, it's the, you know, you're going to give a talk or a presentation. I enjoy doing those things, but I also need significantly more prep time. And then I need to have that followed by some downtime. And that's the other one. So if I'm going to run off and give a presentation and I haven't had time to prepare, that's the kind of thing that's going to cause me stress. And so mm-hmm. I, I need to make sure that I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's funny that you say that because I actually have a, a speaking engagement this afternoon and I um, had planned to go to a, an event last night. 
And I knew when I scheduled it that it wasn't a good idea that having sort of two networking, I'll call it events within like 12 hours of each other was, or, you know, even 24 was going to overtax me. And so I ended up not going last night and then I felt bad. <laughs> so it's just what you're saying, right? It's, you know, drawing those boundaries and actually adhering to them up front. Yeah. I love that you shared that. And I learned a new word last year. So when you said you knew at the time that it wasn't a good idea, I learned this word called pregret. So <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yes. This, this is actually a time saver. If you're scheduling that thing and in your head, you already know, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, I'm going to be tired. Oh, I don't really have time. I should be somewhere else. If you can catch that moment of pregret and, and not schedule that thing, because yeah. I do it too, um, but it's a trigger, right? And we do know. I think if we listen to ourselves a little bit more, I've done it where I commit to three things at the same time. I obviously know I can't be in three places, but I'm avoiding the decision. Right, right. If I stare at that conflict long enough, somehow it will make me <laughs> a choice of which one of these three things I should be doing. But yeah, I could actually just slow down a little bit and pick the one and say no to the others and not feel, not have that guilt right. and also not put the pressure on myself because people understand. They think it's nobody but us who thinks we should be at all of these things all of the time and never say no. If you think about other people in your life, I'm sure they say no all the time and we actually respect them for that, mm -hmm. but we just don't give ourselves the same permission. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm glad that you, that you shared that as well. Is there, or are there two or three things that whether they're apps or um, maybe it's music or I don't know, anything that you can't live without when it comes to, to self-care? Yeah, well, I did subscribe for this service called Sane Box, S-A-N-E. Oh, interesting. Yes, and um, I can't live without it anymore because what it does, <laughs> it has its own auto filters and it'll auto filter certain things out of your email into folders like bulk and news. So beyond just the spam filtering. But what I find now, it has this one called Sane Later. So that <laughs> might be those newsletters you subscribe to, but maybe you don't always have time to read them. And so what it does is it, it filters out all of this, like it's kind of noise, but it's better than spam. It allows me to really focus on what's in my inbox. And then when I go to, let's say, sane later, I can make a quick decision about 20 or 30 emails and which to delete and respond to versus having those all mixed in with the real mail and the real work. So that has been a lifesaver in terms of just kind of cutting down on the volume of emails. Yeah, um, I definitely recommend checking that one out. I've toyed around with some virtual scheduling, including my, my new kind of favorite one is the bot. It's x.ai, so x.dot.ai, and you actually get a bot. So you can choose Amy or I think it's Andy to be your <laughs> scheduler. And, and huh. they're a bot, but you can speak to them. Like I could say, hi, Amy, can you schedule? Uh, Lara and I would like to meet for an hour sometime next week. And she will schedule that meeting for us. She will communicate with you and propose the meeting. So that's pretty interesting. And then the other one I just have to say is podcasts. I mean, I'm such a podcast addict and I take the light rail and I walk to a lot of my meetings. And so I think I learn more just by the fact of the existence of podcasts than I have probably ever been learning in my life on a continuous basis where yeah. every day I might listen to three or four different things. And I just feel like it makes me smarter. 
I love it. I totally agree. I feel the same way. Like I've learned more since I started listening to podcasts than I have, you know, since college, basically. <laughs> it's so great. So what's next for you, Michaela? What are you excited about? Ooh, I'm really excited that our business is continuing to grow. Uh, our goal is to double in 2018. And thus far, we are on track. That's and great. it is really fun and exciting. We do some management and leadership development work. And we're working on kind of a 2.0 version of that where we're just really excited. We actually had what we called a demo day and invited in about 25 clients to brainstorm and give us feedback on what it is that they want to learn next year. And they gave us some great ideas. In fact, you had uh, talked at the beginning about managing remote teams. That was very mm -hmm. high on people's list. Um, coaching for managers. Uh, we've created a program called the Advocacy Spectrum about how do you know if you're really an advocate and a champion, say for women in, in underrepresented communities versus someone who's really well-intentioned, but maybe not doing too much about it. So that's been really fun. And then my, my five-year plan, which I share with people, is that, so I've kept the, the business in Seattle very intentionally while my kids are home. My kids are 13 and 16. So the five-year plan for when my youngest eventually moves out is that I actually really want to expand the business into India. I spent three years in India, and I've seen a, a need for the kind of services that we provide. And there are people doing work similar to ours in other parts of the country here. There are great firms in New York and the Bay Area that we already collaborate with. And so I feel like rather than doing that expansion, I just assume continue the collaboration. Um, but I feel like India would be a new adventure for us. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. And where can people learn about you and about Uniquely HR? Yes, we are easy to find our website, uniquelyhr.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're not yet on Instagram, but if a couple more people tell me I should be, then I'm sure we'll show up on Instagram <laughs> as well. And I feel like my job is just to connect with everyone in the world who's interested. So you can also feel free to just find me and connect on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michaela. This is really fun. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. And thank you for being such a wonderful host. Oh, thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit lauridolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Oh,